Hello, welcome to Film Disruptors, episode 7. My name is Alex Stoltz, and this is a show which brings you the game changers in film, whether that's in storytelling, finance, sales, distribution, and my guest today is Rebecca O'Brien. Rebecca is a multi-award winning producer with over 30 films to her name, and she is probably best known as the producing force behind Ken Loach. And I talked to Rebecca about her career, about that key creative partnership, and the massive success, of massive recent success of I, Daniel Blake, leads us to talk about festivals, distribution, and what it really feels like to win a Palm d'Or. Rebecca also recently produced her first interactive piece, a digital project called How to Make a Ken Loach Film. We'll talk about that as well. If you are enjoying Film Disruptors, and I certainly hope that you are may i suggest a couple of ways just to stay in touch firstly subscribe on itunes this will mean you get the latest episodes as soon as they drop just search film disruptors on itunes and click subscribe secondly if you go to the home of film disruptors www.alexstoltz.com you can sign up for our email newsletter and this is where you can also find out more about Rebecca and her other guests, access the whole Film Disruptors back catalogue, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. And now I'm going to hand you over to Rebecca O'Brien. And I started today's show by asking Rebecca about her latest production, City of Tiny Lights. Riz Ahmed was always attached to it, and I, I, I always enjoyed it. I thought it was a lovely idea, this uh, con- contemporary film noir with all the sort of various tropes and, uh, you know, shenanigans mm. that goes on around having a gumshoe in a, in a sort of two-bit uh, detective agency um, mm. somewhere in London, uh, you know, and uh, and I think... That's what that's what attracted me to it, and there's some some very funny lines in it as well. Um, and it's 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 uh, taken from Patrick Patrick Neat wrote the um, the book and then adapted the screenplay from mm. his own book. Mm. I love a concept, and uh, it's great to see a, a, a British noir. I think that's uh, that's really an interesting terrain to explore, and of course, uh, Riz Ahmed is such a such a charismatic and engaging performer. Uh, oh, he's fantastic. There's, there's also, there's also, a, I mean, there's a, there's a wonderful array of other characters in the film. Um, Billy Piper is the femme fatale, but there's a sort of another femme fatale uh, woman uh, called, who's, who's played by Kush, Kush Jumbo, who is fantastic. People might have seen her in The Good Wife, um, and she's a really amazing actress. And um, so Kush is in it and uh, all sorts of different characters. And it's it, it, what I like about it is it's a sort of really, it really shows the diversity of London without banging on about it. Hmm. Um, James Floyd is in it, this wonderful kid called... Um, Mohammed, uh, um, who's in it, he just steals the show. He's very funny, and um, no, it's it's good fun. And then um, 
Roshan Seth is in it as well as the dad. He's great. Mm, yeah. I last worked with him on My Beautiful Laundrette. Mm, okay. So um, that's an interesting uh, <laughs> chance to re- reconnect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I was trying to say. Um, well, and for the for the listeners' benefit, and if you were happy to do so, I mean, could could you just talk through how how it was financed, and so to get a sense of how a indie British movie of that type was put together? Well, uh, you know, it was it was cobbled together in the usual low budget British way, right. which is a patchwork quilt of funding. Mm-hmm. Um, it had support from the BFI and from. BBC films from an early stage. So they were willing participants. Um, it was just a question of trying to get the rest of the money. And that's always a difficult bit. So um, there was an ingenious element, uh, which was some equity. And then there was also a post-production deal with um, uh, Lip Sync. And then there were a couple of little pre-sales to Japan okay. and a couple of other smaller territories. And uh, I think that was roughly it. And a bit of tax credit, which was cash flowed and all the rest of it. So it was it was complicated. These things always are. And they, the money costs more than it should for this sort of production. So it's... Mm-hmm. It's it's not an easy area uh, of filmmaking to to produce. It's much easier, in a way, to make films in the over ten million area because you know then you've got money for a star, and uh, you know that these days um, it's quite difficult, and that has to be like an A list. Mm. superstar mm. rather than anybody else, which is which makes life really difficult for. You know, it's difficult for 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 us who make uh, these sort of prototype films that are basically where the ideas come from. Mm. What was the budget? Uh, it was around about three million yeah. pounds. Yeah. And what was the um, you know in terms of in terms of when you were putting that jigsaw of finance together? What was the what was the crucial piece? You said BBC and BFI were, were kind of in. When when did it sort of say, was there a one participant who said, right, we're, when we're in, you felt, okay, we're going to go ahead now? Well, you just have to get the whole thing together. I mean, mm. it, it, it isn't like that. It's not, there's not a sort of hallelujah moment. I mean, I suppose it's, it is, what you do have to do is to get everybody to agree that they haven't got any more, things to niggle about and it's a sort of uh, simultaneous financial orgasm really you have to achieve and that's quite tricky and that's known as closing but it's 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 never uh, unfortunately it's never sort of there's always a lawyer who has one more thing that they got to have um and actually one of the producer's jobs is to go in and stop that right <laughs> just say look you know trust us we want to make the film let us get on with it stop it <laughs> mm. i love that uh, i love that term i've never heard that before the simultaneous i think i invented orgasm. it that's brilliant um <laughs> and it makes it all sound so pleasurable which <laughs> it probably I... isn't yeah um so well congratulations and and so uh i'd love to talk a bit more about because you mentioned my beautiful laundrette and and so i'd love to 
sort of think about a bit a bit about your career to this point. Was My Beautiful Laundrette your first film, and and was that something which did you produce that? Or, or? No, 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 yeah. no. That was produced by uh, Tim Bevan and uh, Sarah Radcliffe. It of was course. the first working title. Of film. course, yeah. Um, I was the location manager. Right. I, my my job was to find the laundrette. Okay. Um, and it it wasn't it wasn't quite my first film. I did a, another film on four called Sacred Hearts before that mm-hmm. uh, as as production manager. And I d- I did a sort of apprenticeship before that, doing um, working on a on a kids uh, TV series for for Channel Four. It was commission number three. <laughs> at Channel Four, so I mean, I I sort of started, and and before that, I actually worked on a BFI film in the olden days when you could get your film fully funded by the BFI back in the late seventies, early eighties. Right, uh, that's a long time ago. But um, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I had I I basically the first job I had in film was working at the Edinburgh Film Festival during the late seventies. And, uh, I did that for three summers and that gave me definite, de- definitely whetted my appetite, but I still didn't know that there was a job for me or somebody like me in, in actual film production. And I worked in the theater first for a couple of years at Riverside studios. And I left there to do a, a, a one week film production course and that was it. That was my epiphany, really. I discovered discovered that that's what I should be doing, and I, I uh, I'm a good organizer, really. And I think that's that's basically the thing that gelled was the fact that that uh, I realized that people to make films you need somebody who can organize, and uh, so that's how I ended up doing it. And um, yeah, just sort of worked my way up through production, different production jobs, uh, early Channel Four stuff. Uh, including My Beautiful Laundrette, which was an extraordinary f- film to work on. Uh, it was very radical, very different. And and uh, we were all, I mean, a lot of people who worked on that film went on to, to, to some quite glittering careers. And um, it was it was very exciting to work on something which was so fresh and so sort of different and challenging. And, uh, you know, there aren't very many gay laundrette movies, so... It was fun. Yeah, quite true. And, and of course, you you reunited with working title when you uh, co-produced Bean. How was what was that experience like? Well, it was interesting. I mean, it was it was sort of the, the the interview was quite scary because the interview was with um, Tim, who I knew from working title, um, Rowan Atkinson. It was in it and. Mel Smith, who was the director, and Richard Curtis, who was the writer, and uh, a couple of other people. And so that was the most scary board you can imagine to go and have to be interviewed by then to see whether you were going to be capable of producing it. So um, mm. but my job really on that was to keep it British because we shot it in Los Angeles. Mm. And I think I, my job really was to sort of keep the whole show on the road and to, 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 to keep it being a British film, despite the fact that we were shooting it out there. And so it was, it was a real fascinating learning curve for me uh, to go there and, you know, just hang, hang around in Hollywood and try and make a British film. 
I made I made, I made a European film uh, there three years later with Ken, which was um, something called Bread and Roses, mm. which uh, the Bean experience was quite useful for. Mm. But again, I haven't actually made an American film in America yet. Don't think I want to. I'm not trying to stay here. <laughs> okay. Very good. And so you mentioned Ken, Ken Loach. Uh, when did that creative partnership and how did that creative partnership come about? Because that's obviously been such a key aspect of your career. Well, that was basically working title introduced us. I mean, I, I absolutely knew who Ken was and I was a big fan of Ken's. Uh, I mean, I saw Kathy come home when it went out on telly in the mid sixties. I think I was about 10 at the time. Um, and then I saw Kess and I thought that was amazing. And Days of Hope, which is an incredible TV series that Ken did in the late 70s. So I saw those and I just thought he was a real hero of mine. So the opportunity to work with him came when I basically I was working for a working title. I'd been doing a TV series for them in Ireland, um, which was a book by Maeve Binchy. And because I'd done that, I was working titles Irish expert. Uh, and so and they were doing a film with Ken in Ireland and so Sarah asked me if I would work with Ken and I couldn't resist it however when we started working um, it was became obvious quite quickly that Ken was working against what working title wanted they wanted something which was different out of the script than, than what Ken wanted to do so um yeah, I mean, Ken was trying to subvert it into something closer to the wind that shakes the barley. And so any, anyway, we ended up without a job after about four or five weeks. And, um, uh, yeah, about four weeks away from shooting, we didn't have a film to make. So but Ken and I had really got on very well, and, and I, I thought his technique and his processes were very interesting. And so I, you know, was absolutely delighted to have had the short period of time working with him. And he suggested that he had another script under his arm and he suggested that we try and get that together. And um, that eventually, after some, a couple of years, two or three years, became uh, our first project together, which was Hidden Agenda, which is a political thriller set in the north of Ireland um, during the Troubles. And... Um, it was a very difficult film to get off the ground, but uh, with Eric Fellner's help, before he was at Working Title, we we did manage to do it eventually. And it was a tricky film to do, but we, we pulled it off. And I think the fact that we got that done and we and it, the thing about Hidden Agenda was it, it, it got invited to the Cannes Film Festival in competition and, and we won a prize. We won the jury prize. And it sort of helped put Ken back on the map because he'd had 10 years almost in the wilderness. He hadn't made much and kept on getting things censored or banned and he couldn't get arrested, let alone make a film. So the fact that we actually managed to do it, I think was quite satisfying. And so we resolved to work again together when we could. And um, I took a sort of small, we got out of sync a bit because I had a baby and, Ken was doing a couple of films with Parallax Pictures with Sally Hibbin. And, but then we reconnected and I joined Parallax Pictures. And the, the next film we did was Land and Freedom, a film about the Spanish Civil War. 
mm-hmm. um, which was an amazing experience. And again, complicated, difficult, three-way co-production with Spain and Germany. And, you know, period war film set in Spain, not the easiest thing to do, but uh, particularly not on the tight budget we had. But um, again, we, we managed to pull it off and it was a, a, another fantastic experience. And I think that sort of sealed our partnership, uh, our working partnership as, uh, you know, and um, pretty much apart from Carla's song, pretty much everything else since then I've, has been, that Ken has done, uh, has been produced by me. Hmm. Wow. And, that, and you, and you formalized that relationship through with 16 films and. Yes, we, we worked at, we worked at Parallax for a few years um, until the point that we realized that we were really just, it was mainly us just doing the films ourselves. Um, Sally was doing stuff as well, but the, the, the bigger group had, had split up. And so once that happened, it made more sense for Ken and I to have a company on our own because that's what we were doing. And so 16 Films was born uh, really off the back of uh, Sweet 16, which we made in 2001. And and that was the point that we left Parallax and decided to, to go it alone. listening to Film Disruptors and I'm in conversation with Rebecca O'Brien. If you're enjoying Film Disruptors, please sign up on iTunes. You can subscribe by logging onto iTunes and searching Film Disruptors. And in this section, I talk to Rebecca about I, Daniel Blake and how the film's distribution success all began pre-can. Yes, I think... uh... E1, the, the distributors, did an amazing job. I mean, really, heart and soul. I mean, it sort of started, really, I mean, apart from the making of the film bit, which we did. I mean, it was a very quick film to make in some ways because basically um, Paul and Ken went on a sort of mini road trip around the country to look at the state of things in the winter of 2014, 2015, and Paul went home to Edinburgh and within no time at all, by, by the middle of May, he'd sent me a, a script and that, this is Paul Laverty, and, and I was in the middle of shooting City of Tiny Lights and I received the script and, I th- and Paul said, no, 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 don't, don't read it because you're shooting, like, wait, and I, I couldn't resist it, so I read it and I thought, we have to do this film this year. It was so urgent, there's such mm-hmm. a sort of, you know, imperative to make it. So I thought, well, we, we should really try and make it in the autumn. And so, so we did. Um, and, um, and then when Alex Hamilton, who's the managing director of E1 came to see it, there was a very special screening where uh, Alex and a few others saw the film. And at the end of the film, Alex was um, inconsolable. He tried to say something to Ken, but it came out all wrong (laughs) in floods of tears. And he just really was a mess. And he said later to me, if I do one thing this year, it's to get that film to the biggest possible audience. And he was true to his word. And the whole team behind him 
you know, came on board and put such an incredible effort into making the campaign work. It was fantastic. I mean, it was so much, there was so much commitment. And I sort of knew after that screening that we had something, probably had something special. Was that before Cannes? Yeah. Right. Um, that was that was about a month before Cannes, mm. and um, and once it was accepted into Cannes, um, you know, it was it's always it's always great fun trying to read the rooms of Cannes and trying to work out whether uh, your film's going to do well or not, and um, and you know, there's there's quite a sort of alchemy to what happens there, but. Um, we were we were very very lucky to get called back and 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 even luckier to to, to win the Palme d'Or for the second time. That was amazing. It's it's an incredible experience winning what I I, I think is is the filmmaker's ultimate prize. I mean, for me, it's far more important than any any uh, Academy Awards because mm. I mean, although they're they they have their their real value, but the the Palme d'Or, you know, you're those people see nearly 2,000 feature films to, to choose from a lot of feature films mm. to get to the short list of 20 or 21. And then, and then to be, you know, to win that, it's just incredible. It's mm. a really special thing. So, and they treat you, of course, because the French don't have a, have royalty, they, but the but film is their royalty. And, and so you're treated like, like you know royalty it's it's hilarious and it's great fun it's really good fun Mm. so it's it's an amazing treat to have to go back and pick up a prize Mm. especially that one and Mm. it's a nice prize as well indeed indeed it is um Uh, and wonderful, and that obviously set the trajectory you know flying for for the film uh, great momentum well we would it was interesting because we also the other thing I did in, in 2015 was 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 make an, a documentary about Ken called Versus: The Life and Films of Ken Loach, and and that opened, uh, which was directed by Louise Osmond, who's a terrific filmmaker, and that came out a couple of weeks after Can. So that that sort of kept up the. The Lochian momentum, as it were, into the summer, and it was, you know, we 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 did some pay what you can screenings, and um, and the film did very well when it went out on BBC Two, and it, so that sort of caught the caught the um, breeze of the of the of sort of post can, mm. and then uh, and we decided to release I Daniel Blake in the autumn and. Um, during the summer, it went on to win some other audience prizes at other festivals, um, including Locarno and San Sebastian, and so that that get, kept it kept up its momentum. And then E One's the, the sort of centre of E One's campaign was to show the film to as many as wide a, a different audience as they could find. Um, before they opened it, so they, they they had screenings which they organised through the union. Uh, I think it was Unite, and and also through the National Union of Students, and also through 
Trinity Media, so so the Daily Mirror and the Daily Record, rather than doing say what what would normally be done maybe for an art house film, mm-hmm. is do a campaign through the Guardian. We did it through Trinity Group, and so they showed the film to some something like forty thousand people before the release. And we also did a, an incredible sort of round the country campaign where we went to uh, Ken and Paul and. Uh, uh, Dave Johns, the lead actor, and Hayley Squires, the, the leading actress, and myself, we went and did Q&As and, and special screenings all over the country. And they were very well attended, and we did lots of Q&As. And we had a, we had a group, we had a, a comedian screening in Manchester for Dave Johns, and so it was attended by a lot of stand-ups because that's where he's from. And so the, the the social media campaign really caught fire as well, and and Ewan did some fantastic memes and things. Uh, we we, we mm-hmm. did we projected Daniel Blake's speech onto the Houses of Parliament, and all of those things got the film a real real momentum. So by the time it opened, it just became part of the the national conversation. And within a week of opening, it had been mentioned several times in Parliament. I mean, we, we, um, and and Labour decided to use it as a, a sort of campaigning element. And they had they had a sort of I Daniel Blake Day where it showed in 400 cinemas around the country, and and those screenings were were attended by uh, Labour MPs, and they had Q and As and. Um, and the thing is, the Q and A's have been were fantastic because people really want to talk about the film and want to discuss the issues. It, people very much identify with the characters in the film, and if they don't know somebody like like Daniel Blake, they know they know somebody who 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 does. And and so people have a real connection to it. And so the other thing, the other element of E One's campaign was to 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 um, something we'd asked for was to make it available for communities. So after the main run of the film, hmm. after Christmas, we they then made it available for, for, for much less to, to community groups who applied for it. And I think to date it's had something like 600 uh, community screenings around the country, which is, which is fantastic. And so that's a whole other layer of audience of people who don't normally go to the cinema seeing the film. So it's been a really terrific experience. Uh, effort on their part and and social media has been fantastic on it and um i mean our followers leapt leapt to something like nearly fifty thousand now and that that was just we we started off i think beginning of september we had ten thousand followers so it just it just grew Mm. and grew it was very good Mm. using an old an old-fashioned term taking it from the the film or the culture pages to the to to the news pages and well i think yeah. one of the things that e1 said was and that what they noticed when they first started out doing the campaign they said it's it's bizarre it's much more like a political campaign than a film campaign hmm. and it had that sort of momentum it had that sort of you know it was once they sort of realized that that's what it was and it wasn't a standard film job <laughs> Then, then it made their lives very easy because it, hmm. it's like, oh well, this is what we do, rather than do it like a film. We do it like a like a political issue, hmm. and hmm. and that was a wise choice. Hmm. 
It's interesting because in Japan they've done very similar and it's doing very well there as well. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it did did well in France, as, as all our films tend to do, and around Europe. But, but Japan particularly, there's a lot of effort put into the community approach and the issues approach. And, and that's what's given it a really good run. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Rebecca O'Brien. If you're enjoying Film Disruptors, why not sign up for our email newsletter? You can do this by going to alexstoltz.com and clicking subscribe. And in this final section, Rebecca talks about her interactive project, How to Make a Ken Loach Film, and also gives her advice for emerging storytellers. We did a digital project uh, in tandem with The Spirit of 45 yes. documentary that we made. And I really enjoyed doing that and learned quite a lot about what you could do with the digital space. And, um, and I thought it would be a very interesting way of exploring, you know, I thought it would be an interesting thing to explore Ken's career, which is such an interesting subject in itself, uh, using the online space and you know the fact that you can you can concertina in and you can you can expand and contract according to uh, your own desires as to how interested you are in a subject so i thought it would be an interesting and i the other thing the other element to it was the fact that we had ken's own boxes of archive his own personal archive which which i'd given to the bfi as uh something that they should catalogue and, and, and look after. And they have indeed done that. And there is a, there is a, there was a sort of Ken Loach room at the BFI archive, mm. which has got this fantastic resource, which is Ken's personal uh, artefacts around the films. And when those boxes were sitting at our office in the room next to the one I'm sitting in, um, I went through the boxes with, um, uh, Natalie from the BFI, who's the curator. And we found all sorts of things that even I had no idea about. I mean, we found out about this. I, I found out about a film I didn't even know existed. And it's a film that Ken made called In Black and White. And it was a, 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 a film that got banned um, that he had made for Save the Children uh, back in 1970. And basically, he made a film which sort of told a bit more of the truth than they'd wanted to hear about mm. um about their activities i mean it said good things about them as well but it, at the time it was a uh, they they wanted it buried forever so it was really interesting exploring these boxes and discovering all these things about ken that i didn't know and i'd known ken for you know nearly 30 years so it, it was fascinating anyway so when we were giving the boxes to the bfi i thought well surely there's a way of getting that life out of the boxes and onto the screen or into the digital space so that was the beginning of it and then i met a company in france called upian um i was introduced to them by a very talented artist who uh, had, had worked with them a guy called callum cooper um who had worked with upian and i thought they were really interesting and they said that they could they could probably get money from arte who have public money for uh, digital projects and roughly the same time i did a pitch uh, at power to the pixel to try and 
get some attention for the project. And I won this pitching session, which included some money from Arte. So I joined the dots and asked Upian if they would do the digital project for us. And then I went to the BFI and uh, asked for some money to, 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 to put into the digital project. But they said, well, we can't put money into digital projects. We can only put money into films. So they suggested that I make a film about Ken and then use that to make the digital project. Oh, right, okay. uh, and then having asked, said I should make a film about Ken, they said, well, you can make a film about Ken, but, but make sure that it, it gets seen widely. So you, you want some, make sure you've got telly involved. So I ended up getting a commission from the BFI to make a film about Ken. And then I got BBC Films on board so that I could have a good TV window for it as well. And that, in fact, to cut a long story short, that is what we did. And so, but to make the film, I had to find a director. And, and so I found Louise Osmond, who I think is magnificent. And so she, and she wanted to make the film while we were making I, Daniel Blake. So I became a sort of split personality trying to do both films at the same time. And indeed filming myself, filming me in, you know, whichever thing. And it was quite complicated, <laughs> but, um, uh, so, but it was good. And, um, so Louise made her film, which we, and, and what we did, so she made Versus, which is a biographical film. And then what we decided to do was we gave all of her footage to um, Upian and said, okay, what we want to do now is um, make something different that, that, that can be interactive and that can help you explore the career, but more the process. And, and then I said, well, what I really want is something which tells you how to make a Ken Loach film. And so we thought that would be a good title for it. And, and that is, in fact, what the digital project does. And it, it, it's very, it differs from the film. It differs from Versus, the life and film of, sort of Ken Loach, because what it does, what that does is tell you Ken's personal story as to how he became a filmmaker and his journey as a filmmaker. The digital project really tells you about the process that we use in the making of the film. So taking the process from from originating the script, uh, developing the screenplay, um, going through to casting, uh, finding locations, crewing, all those bits. And, and so it, and it uses I, Daniel Blake as the sort of top line. And so if you were just watching the top line, you would see like a, a, a superior making of I, Daniel Blake. But every so often, the, 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 the digital project it, it encourages you to go off-piste and explore, say, take casting. We're looking at the casting of I, Daniel Blake, and then, then the, um, you're encouraged interactively to go off-piste mm -hmm. and then find out from people who've worked with Ken on other films what the casting process meant to them. And so you take each process and you, you can, if you're interested, explore deeper and back into the past more mm -hmm. uh, in his career. So it's basically a film about process and about, well, how to make a Ken Loach film. And that's, that's how it works. Do you see stuff doing more um, stuff in this space, more interactive documentaries or, or well, I think, I think it, I think it depends on what the project is. I mean, mm. I think now, I think one needs to have a sort of broad mind about how you do a film or a, 
project and it, i think it's it's horses for courses it's it's you know you want to find the right medium for the story that you're telling and and the digital medium was exactly right for telling the story about how somebody makes something because you know people are only necessarily interested in bits and so that's what the digital process allows you is that you know you can skip things you're not interested in and you can you can move on but yet there is a narrative and and certainly in how to make a Ken Loach film uh, how to how to make a Ken Loach film you can actually um it will there isn't a, a sort of full stop in the narrative you can actually go quite seamlessly from one one ending to to back back to where you were in the, in the top story so that was a really interesting way of dealing with um something about process whereas you know the more formal biographical documentary is a different thing it's mm. it's 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 a, a more linear story and and you want it to be like that although louise's story goes back in time and forward in time and so it it's interesting it, i i would i'm i'm very interested in any way of telling a story well and if that means doing stuff in the digital space then that's very interesting Mm. Very interesting. I, I, I mean, I'm very grateful to uh, um, the people at Film 4 who, who got me interested in the digital side of things in the first place. I just had um, Anna, Anna Hicks was, Anna just Hicks on, was, was on a guest on the show recently. Yeah, and Anna, Anna led me gently down that path, and I'm very grateful to her for, for doing that. Mm. Do you have advice to uh, and? emerging storyteller uh it's someone who has a vision maybe they they want to make a film or they're in the process of, of of making a film or telling us telling a story in another way what would be your what would be your advice to that person rebecca well my advice would be don't do it by yourself my advice is absolutely that filmmaking and or storytelling is something which should be a shared experience it's you know, the best work is done with good teams and putting teams together around a project is a, is a very, very valuable thing. They, films are intensely collaborative and they work much better when they're collaborations than when they're one-man operations. Um, I mean, it's not to put down people who, um, you know, self-shoot stuff and, and all of that. I mm. think that's that's got its absolute place and it's really important that people can go in, in and um, make films in that sort of microcosm. But to make something of high quality for the big screen and for uh, mass consumption, I think it, it, it's, it's, it, it's very rewarding and, and, um, and most entertaining for all if it's well made and the quality is high and and that can only be achieved by working with a team so i think finding finding you know to tell stories you need to find where you are in that team and 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 sort of covet and nurture that particular role and and then you can get the most out of it that's uh, that's very good advice that's very good advice you know i think that's, that's the the team element is something which is often um uh, it's, it's often brushed over and such an important part um and 
it makes me think about your, you know, what you, what you found to be such a key strength or aspect to your career was the organization and br- bringing that team uh, project together. Well, Rebecca, we're coming to the end of our time. So thank you very much for, uh, for sharing your insights and experience with us. How do, how do people find out more about you uh, or more about 16 Films? Well, we've got a, a website, which is, um, I think it's www.16films.co.uk. Or you can actually, yes, you can actually watch and play with um, how to make a Ken Loach film by going to www.howtomakeakenloachfilm.com slash en if you want to watch it in English or slash fr if you want to watch it in French or slash de if you want to watch it in German. Okay, well, that's good. So I'm, the I'm, wonderful I'm, thing about well that's the film disruptors reach in germany and france is not there yet but we're we're working on it um i'm sure we'll come but um well rebecca thank you thank you so much for your time my pleasure absolute pleasure talking to you and and keep disrupting okay (laughs) you too (laughs) cheers cheers If you'd like to find out more, check out the home of Film Disruptors, alexstoltz.com, that's S-T-O-L-Z, where you can download today's show notes, sign up for updates, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening, and look forward to seeing you again soon.